Welcome to Washington Today for Monday, January 23rd, 2023. I'm Gary Sterkoff. Thanks a lot for listening. Here are some headlines. L.A. County officials announced earlier this afternoon that the death toll from Sunday's mass shooting at a Monterey Park dance studio had risen to 11. According to the L.A. County Coroner's Office, all but one of the victims were 60 years of age or older. Meanwhile, several several members of Hollywood's Asian community have made statements of sympathy and support, including actors Simu Liu, George Takei, Ken Jeong, Olivia Munn, and Daniel Day Kim. They all spoke out on Twitter over the weekend. We'll hear from California Senator Alex Padilla and Representative Judy Chu coming up. A bipartisan group of lawmakers has announced a plan that would defuse a possible federal debt ceiling crisis. Pennsylvania Republican Brian Fitzpatrick, who co-chairs the House Problem Solvers Caucus, said his proposal would replace the current federal debt ceiling, which now sits at $31.4 trillion, with a rule that would instead limit debt to a share of national economic output. More on the state of play in Congress on the debt ceiling coming up. Congress returns for work this week. After a break, the Senate gaveled in at 3 p.m. Eastern for a confirmation vote on Brendan Owens to be an assistant defense secretary. They also swore in Nebraska Republican Senator Pete Ricketts. He's replacing Ben Sass, who resigned to become the president of the University of Florida. The House returns tomorrow. Members will vote on legislation later in the week, barring the president from releasing oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve for non-emergency purposes without an approved plan to increase oil drilling on federal public lands. And according to a report in Punchbowl News, House Democratic leader Hakeem Jeffries has sent a letter to House Speaker Kevin McCarthy submitting California Democrats Adam Schiff and Eric Swalwell to sit on the powerful House Intelligence Committee. According to House rules, the Speaker can decline to seat members on the Intel Committee without needing a full House vote to do so. And historically, there's been little controversy over the committee's membership. But that all changed in 2021 when Democrats staged two successful votes to remove Republicans Marjorie Taylor Greene of Georgia and Paul Gosar of Arizona from their committee assignments. Since then, Representative McCarthy has vowed to keep Representatives Schiff and Swalwell from sitting on the committee. A former top FBI official in the Bureau's New York office has been arrested and faces charges relating to violating Russian sanctions and money laundering. Charles McGonigal, who was special agent in charge of counterintelligence in the FBI's New York field office, is under arrest over his ties to Russian billionaire Oleg Deripaska. He is also facing charges over criminally violating U.S. sanctions. McGonigal is charged with violating U.S. sanctions by trying to get Deripaska off the sanctions list. He is one of the highest-ranking former FBI officials ever charged with a crime. We begin in the Los Angeles area today where officials announced Monday afternoon that the death toll from Sunday's mass shooting in the Monterey Park area at a dance studio had risen to 11. The the, uh, new number was announced at an event in the area. One of the speakers at that event was one of the state senators, Democrat Alex Padilla. Uh, well, there's still a lot that we are learning about these particular cases. We won't jump to all the conclusions. We'll let the investigations and legal processes run their course. Uh, we do uh, take it as uh, a reminder of the urgency with which we need to strengthen our gun safety laws across the country. Uh, many of my colleagues have pointed out, you know, doesn't California have some of the strictest laws and protections of any state in the nation? And that is true. And they have worked. And it is helpful. But when there's a patchwork of laws and protections to various degrees across states, 
then clearly there are vulnerabilities that can uh, impact any community in the country. And so for um, the uh, individuals in the community here in Monterey Park, throughout the region and throughout the country that are living in slightly more fear today because of what's been witnessed, uh, this is a reminder that more needs to be done. Uh, Two final things. One, uh, another minute should go by without once again expressing our uh, condolences uh, and our prayers to the families of uh, the victims and of the survivors and the community at large. Um, They should take heart in seeing their community leadership respond so quickly and work so well uh, together. Uh, And last but not least, to call attention to some good news. Earlier this year, or excuse me, last year, Congress actually came together on a bipartisan basis. Representative Chu on the House side, myself on the Senate side, when we passed the Safer Communities Act, which does bring additional resources for mental health, does bring additional resources for crisis response for incidents like this. So it's part of our recognition that communities will need that support, not just in the immediate aftermath of a tragedy, but for the long term. But more needs to be done. California Democratic Senator Alex Padilla speaking in Monterey Park, California, earlier today. Democrat Judy Chu, who is starting her eighth term representing the area, also spoke on the events from over the weekend. She talked about what happened and the questions she still has. Well, um, there are many questions in my mind about the shooting. Uh, Of course, his motive, uh, as well as whether he had a mental health uh, problem and whether he had a criminal record. But one of the biggest questions I have is how he was able to obtain these guns, not just one, but others. Did he obtain them legally or not? Actually, the gun that was wrestled away from him at uh, the Lai Lai Dance Studio uh, was an illegal weapon. And what this says is that there are far too many illegal weapons that are being purchased by people who should not have them. I suspect that this person may have had mental problems. If the background check was done properly, then he wouldn't have been able to obtain this. We know that the universal background check is the best way to make sure that guns are not in the hands of criminals and those with a history of mental health problems. Uh, But there are loopholes in our current system, and that is uh, a person can evade having a background check if they uh, purchase their guns through an online system or uh, they purchase it uh, through private means, person to person, or at a gun show. Mm -hmm. And those loopholes have to close. California Democratic Representative Judy Chu speaking to CBS News earlier today. Back here in Washington, Congress is returning to work. The Senate gaveled in for a confirmation vote for Brendan Owens. He is uh, he will be the assistant defense secretary in charge of energy needs of U.S. military buildings and bases worldwide with the Senate's agenda on the floor on the mind of Senator Chuck Schumer today. Here are his leader time remarks. It's a new era here in Congress, an era of divided government where both parties will have to demonstrate they can work together to solve our nation's problems. Democrats begin the 118th Congress with an open hand of cooperation, and I urge my Republican colleagues to respond in kind 
so we can hit the ground running. We have a lot of difficult and important work ahead of us, perhaps none more important than working together to raise the debt ceiling and protecting the full faith and credit of the United States. In America, when it's time to pay the bills, we have followed through on our obligations without any exception. In the last month, to in the months to come, in the months to come, I expect we're going to hear a lot from our Republican colleagues about the debt ceiling. So let me begin by making a few things perfectly clear at the onset. First, few issues require more bipartisanship, cooperation, and serious-mindedness than making sure that America is able to pay its debts on time. At stake is the health of our economy and the very stability of the global financial system. Should the U.S. default on its debt, the consequences could be severe, and it's going to affect just about every average American family. This is not some esoteric issue that's just abstract and way up there in the clouds. It's going to affect all of us. Listen to what could happen if we default. Interest rates will go up on mortgages, on car loans, on credit cards. Pensions, the money people had put aside, will lose billions. So will IRAs and 401ks in all likelihood. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, Schumer, part of his leader time remarks on the floor earlier this afternoon. Senate Republican Leader Mitch McConnell also talked about what's on his agenda. Here's part of his remarks. The American people want and need this 118th Congress to work differently from the past two years that we just finished. We just had two years of one-party Democratic control. Two years of spending us into record inflation on party-line votes. Two years of ignoring top priorities of the American people like violent crime and open borders. Two years of Senate Democrats procrastinating on basic governing duties in order to push radical proposals like an unprecedented elections takeover and unlimited abortion on demand for all nine months. The American people put an end to that one-party government because they want to change. This year, the Senate leadership must not put off our most basic jobs, like intelligently funding our federal government and providing for our armed forces before the very last minute. Basic duties like the appropriations process and the National Defense Authorization Act need more thoughtfulness, more bipartisanship, and more regular order. And they must not be shoved into late December after the Senate Democrats waste literally months looking for ways to placate the radical left. The American people elected a bipartisan, divided government. The country voted to change Washington. So this chamber's Democratic leadership needs to change accordingly. Senate Republican Leader Mitch McConnell on the floor earlier on Monday. Meanwhile, with the Treasury now using extraordinary measures to prevent the U.S. from defaulting on its debt payments, a bipartisan group of lawmakers has announced a plan that would defuse a possible debt ceiling crisis. Pennsylvania Republican Brian Fitzpatrick, who co-chairs the House Problem Solvers Caucus, said his proposal would replace the current debt ceiling number, which now is $31.4 trillion, with a rule that would instead limit debt to a share of national economic output. Representative Fitzpatrick, who appeared yesterday on Fox News Sunday with his Problem Solvers co-chair, Democrat Josh Gottheimer, 
said that while House Speaker Kevin McCarthy will be taking the lead in negotiations with the White House over the debt ceiling, he and Representative Gottheimer were, quote, putting meat on the bones of their proposal to help avoid a crisis. With more on the state of the debt ceiling in the House, here is South Carolina Republican Nancy Mace. Do you believe it's a valid exercise to use the debt ceiling as leverage to try to negotiate spending cuts? Well, there's no time like the present because we have the debt ceiling looming over us to talk about this. We haven't had a budget since Bill Clinton balanced the budget in 1998, a Democrat president doing that. Before that, it was Republican Richard Nixon in 1970. Clearly something is wrong. And if you look at nationwide, 49 of 50 states, they balance their budgets every single fiscal year. And, you know, we need to get there. $31 trillion created by, by both Republicans and Democrats. This is both parties' faults. Mm-hmm. Now is the best time to have this conversation. And there are plans out there. For example, there's the Penny Plan. I file that that particular piece of legislation in the House. Senator Rand Paul has it in the Senate. That would balance the budget in, in five years and allow the federal government yeah. to raise uh, spending by 10 percent every year but, thereafter. I'm not even asking for that. Can we do it over 10 years? Let's have a negotiation and, and build some consensus. So you want to use the debt ceiling for this moment. You think it's a proper way to use to, to force this? Why not the budget process? That's the part of this I don't quite comprehend. Well, it says, well, clearly the budget process isn't working because we haven't had a budget in decades. And there is a lot of hysteria around shutting down the government. But, you know, this happened under the previous administration. The government was shut down for 35 days. There was a stalemate, but people still got paid. Accounts still got filled up and thing, the sky didn't fall. I would like to see the president. And so far, he has said he will. he's unwilling to negotiate with Republicans. That is not how to unify our country. We are very divided right now. We have $31 trillion of debt. The responsible thing to do would be to get to the table with Republicans and negotiate a way. How do we prioritize spending? How do we balance the budget? We're not even asking to do it in one year like Bill Clinton did it. Mm -hmm. Can we do it over 10 years, which which would be you know, consensus and be compromised. That's a reasonable conversation to have. It's not... You have one thing you're ready to put on the table as a spending cut that you think both parties can accept? Well, I think... Well, obviously no cuts to Medicare, Medicaid, or Social Security. That's a non-starter for either side. Um, But otherwise, it's up to, I would lean on the agency heads, whether it's one penny or five pennies. The penny plan does it with five cents on the dollar in five years. Mm -hmm. But we can find some way to negotiate. And I believe we should go to the agency heads and say, where can you find cuts? Where can we do this and do it over the next decade? That's a very responsible measure that we should all be discussing. South Carolina Republican Nancy Mace yesterday on Meet the Press. And here's Vermont Democrat Peter Welch, who served in the House for more than three decades before being elected to the Senate in November, speaking about the debt ceiling on CNBC earlier today. Everybody's trying to handicap what's going to happen and whether we've seen this movie before and we know how it ends, but it just gets a little dramatic towards the end or you think it's more than just dramatic this time? No, I think it's more serious this time because of what you're seeing in the House. I mean, there's two issues here. One that's very important and very legitimate. How do we balance revenues and spending? That's a debate that we have to have. It should be resolved in the budget. And then there's the question of the tactic. Do you literally use shutdown and or defaulting on your obligations, on your debt, on bills that you have incurred as a tactic to try to get your way? So that has catastrophic consequences for the economy. If we don't pay our bills, it's like if you don't pay your mortgage because you're sick of paying that high monthly bill 
that ends badly. And it would end really badly here. At the end of the day, we will not default, I hope. But what you've seen in the House is that in those 15 votes that Speaker McCarthy had to negotiate, there has been significant power transfer to a very extreme wing of the Republican Party where shutdown is the goal. So I am more concerned than I was when we went through this before. Okay, but Senator, let me ask you this then. You talk about tactics. Politically, the question is whether you think Democrats in the House try to create a situation where this small group of Republicans block things, frankly, uh, for the political optics of it all, or there's some other deal that can be made. Well, the, the reality is that the Republicans in the House are in charge of this. It's always been the burden of the majority uh, to raise the death ceiling and avoid default. And there's always been gamesmanship on both sides about it. But at the end of the day, the majority party has moved ahead, oftentimes with getting some help from the minority. It's not at all clear that'll happen because there's so much division within the Republican side. So you've got some true believers on the House side who actually think that if we defaulted on our debt, that would make things better. Well, it would be catastrophic and it would be ultimately unsustainable. And it would actually cost us more money. If we default on our debt and our interest rates go up because we don't have the credit rating that we need and have always enjoyed, that is going to have catastrophic economic consequences. So the dangers here are real. The, the concern about the debt is legitimate. And I'm all for us having a way where we work together to try to balance the revenues and balance the spending and find ways to lower the debt. But defaulting is not an option. Vermont Democratic Senator Peter Welch on CNBC. And the debt ceiling was also a topic at today's White House briefing. Here's Press Secretary Corrine Jean-Pierre. On the debt limit, Senator Manchin today called the White House position on no negotiations, quote, not responsible. And yesterday, I think he called it a mistake. I understand where your position is. Is there any concern that Democrats not siding with that position could undercut the effort you guys are trying to put into place over the next four months? So just let me uh, look. Lowering the deficit has always been a top priority when it, for this president. As you know, he's lowered uh, the deficit in record fashion at $1.7 trillion under his presidency. And he has said, he's always said he is happy to talk to anyone uh, who wants to uh, deal with, with that in a responsible way. But preventing def- default is a separate matter. That is a separate matter within itself. Uh, It is a basic responsibility for Congress. We've said this over and over and again, and I'll continue to say this. And it's a responsibility that that Congress has to the American people. And so it must be done without conditions, even even as uh, they've pushed for tax giveaways to the rich. Republicans want to cut Social Security. They want to cut Medicare and other critical programs. And let's not forget, these critical programs have already been paid into. These are programs for veterans, for seniors and taxpayers. This is what we're they're talking about taking away uh, from these really critical, uh, critical uh, programs for critical groups here. So President Biden will never, will never uh, allow Republicans to cut benefits that are that our hardworking Americans have earned. This is what they have earned. So, but I'll also note, as it relates to uh, Senator Manchin and to your question, Phil, uh, he agreed on the need to protect Social Security. He agreed on the need to protect Medicare and called on Republicans to uh, to to take cuts to those programs off 
this is quote off the board right now and so just want to make that very very clear as well are you actively asking democrats not to break ranks on this issue we've been very clear i don't think i mean look, we've been very public about this you guys have all covered what we have said from here about how we see this process moving forward this it should be done without conditions uh, this is something that has been done 78 times when we were talking about lifting the debt ceiling uh, uh, in the past, since, since 1960, uh, I believe. This is not unusual. It was done three times uh, in, the past, in the past administration under Donald Trump. So this is nothing unusual. This is something that should be done without conditions, and we should not be taking hostage key programs that, that the American re people really earned and care about. Social Security, Medicare, it should not be uh, put into a hostage situation. And again, the President's going to continue to fight uh, for, for those programs, and we're going to be very clear about how we see uh, how Congress should move forward. White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre. And with more on the week ahead here in D.C., we talked to Candy Woodall, USA Today Congress reporter. Well, again, House Republicans are continuing their push to limit the Biden administration's ability um, to govern. Uh, first, they want to limit his ability to tap into the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. Um, that's a move that Democrats say would uh, raise gas prices and um, limit our ability, limit our oil supply. And that's not expected to advance in the Senate, but that is something that House Republicans are going to try to move um, this week. They also want to set up an FAA task force. Um, this would look at the, the numerous problems that we've seen in the airline industry. Um, most recently, um, you know, last week, uh, what happened? And then of course, Christmas, a lot of Americans remember, you know, waiting in airports and, um, and just the numerous problems that the industry has faced really in the last two years, but especially in the last six months. So House Republicans want to have this task force be established that would include um, people really on all sides, um, you know, the labor issue of that of that industry, um, as well as experts, um, and to just try and figure out like what needs to happen, why problems have occurred, why people have had to wait um, really long periods of time in airports. Uh, that's something else they want to look at this week. Um, and of course, we're still watching for more news as House Republican leaders want to uh, examine uh, the Biden administration's policies. Um, that includes um, the week of February 6th. Um, they're moving forward with hearings that will examine uh, the southern border. Um, they also want to examine the Biden family's business dealings. Um, and they're looking to have Border Patrol um, agents as witnesses. They also want to have Twitter executives as, as witnesses um, related to those hearings. So we're, we're keeping a close eye on those as well. Of course, it, it, could, it took a couple of days for the House to get underway legislatively with the multiple rounds and votes for Speaker of the House. Have, uh, have, has the majority, have Republicans assigned all their committee p positions, particularly the, the chairs for those uh, House committees? We're still waiting on some news out of committee assignments. Um, something uh, we're watching this week is uh, who from the House Freedom Caucus will be named to the Influential House Rules Committee. We're still waiting on some of those assignments. And um, we're also waiting to see if 
um, Speaker McCarthy will follow through on what he said would be a move to prevent three Democrats from sitting mm. on committees, uh, something seen as retaliatory from uh, Reps Gosar and Green, um, who were taken off of committees uh, after um, the January 6th insurrection. And uh, House Democratic leader Hakeem Jeffries is sort of forcing McCarthy's hand this week. He, he's, he's sending out a letter basically saying he intends to seat uh, Rep Swalwell, Schiff, and Omar uh, on committees. And so he's basically you know, forcing McCarthy to either follow through what he said he would do in removing those three from committees or to let it go. What so is, we'll be watching to see in, what happens. In there. terms of committees and just his, uh, his, his future in the Republican uh, conference, what is the status of the freshman Republican George, George Santos? He has been seated on committees. And in fact, Democrats are raising that um, already this morning, actually, saying, why would you remove some of our members who are in good standing when there is an embattled freshman representative facing legal and criminal scrutiny? Um, why is he being seated on committees? Um, last week, uh, one of the Republican leaders, um, James Comer, who is leading a very powerful oversight committee, he had said that Santos will con will continue to be a member, continue to serve on these committees, unless there is, you know, criminal proof of campaign finance violations. So that that's something a lot of people are watching very closely. We've talked a bit about the House. What's ahead for the U.S. Senate this week? Um, so today, actually, Vice President Harris will be swearing in the new member from Nebraska. And he's replacing Ben Sasse. Uh, and then shortly after that, they'll be voting on nominations. Biden's picks that's expected to go through without incident. Um, on Tuesday, there's a hearing in the Judiciary Committee that people may find interesting, especially if they tried to order Taylor Swift tickets and couldn't get them. There is a hearing on fair consumer prices and competitive, you know, ticketing, essentially. So that's uh, something that's happening. They'll also be having um, hearings on upcoming nominations. And there are several closed House intelligence or sorry, closed Senate intelligence committee meetings. Um, I'm hearing that some of that is to possibly discuss um, what they might be able to find out about these um, probes into um, classified documents that were found at President Biden's residence. USA Today Congress reporter Candy Woodall on today's Washington Journal. You can see more at cspan.org forward slash Washington Journal and on our C-SPAN Now video app. You're listening to Washington Today. Welcome back to Washington Today. Here are some more headlines. Five men involved with the January 6th on the Capitol were found guilty today in federal court here in D.C. Richard Barnett, who was infamously photographed putting his feet on a desk inside then House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's office, was found guilty on eight charges, including entering and remaining in a restricted area with a deadly or dangerous weapon and obstructing an official proceeding. And three members of the Oath Keepers and a fourth person were associated with the far-right militia group were found guilty of seditious conspiracy. The four men, Roberto Minuta, 
Joseph Hackett, David Morishell, and Edward Vallejo were accused of plotting to stop the certification of Joe Biden's 2020 Electoral College victory in a conspiracy that culminated on the attack on the U.S. Capitol. All five defendants are confined to home detention until they are sentenced. House Democratic Whip Catherine Clark's daughter was arrested and charged with assault after an encounter with police during a protest in Boston on Saturday. Police found Riley Dowdell with other protesters defacing a public monument, and when they tried to arrest her, they were surrounded and one was hit in the face and bleeding. That is according to a Boston Police Department press release. In a tweet on Sunday, Representative Clark wrote, quote, last night, my daughter was arrested in Boston, Massachusetts. I love Riley, and this is a very difficult time in the cycle of joy and pain in parenting. This will be evaluated by the legal system, and I am confident in that process. The FDA is moving to simplify the nation's COVID-19 vaccine strategy. The goal is to make the vaccines more like an annual flu shot. According to a report from NPR, the FDA would advise Americans to simply get whatever the latest version of the vaccine is each fall. They wouldn't have to worry about how many shots they've already gotten or which one they got and when. Those who still need to receive two doses initially, such as young children and older people, would use the same formulation for all three shots. And vaccine makers would update the shot each spring to try and match the vaccine as closely as possible to whatever variant would be dominant later in the year. The agency could reconsider the vaccine strain at other times of the year if a dangerous COVID variant were to emerge. The new chair of the House Oversight Committee, Kentucky Republican James Comer, has requested that the Secret Service hand over all the information it has on individuals who visited President Biden's Delaware home in the time he served and since the time he has served as vice president. The request comes after Representative Comer asked that the White House turn over visitors' logs to the president's Wilmington home. The White House Counsel's Office, however, said such records do not exist for the residents, writing in a statement, quote, like every president across decades of modern history, here his personal residence is personal. Here is Representative Comer talking about it on Fox News. Well, the biggest takeaway is I I still don't believe the DOJ and FBI are taking this seriously. Uh, We learned initially they just took the president's uh, personal attorney's word that there were no further documents. So uh, at the very least, this should uh, put to bed whether or not President Biden's attorneys either know actually the extent of his uh, irresponsibility or they're not being truthful with the DOJ. Look, they need to take this very seriously. I think any premise where the president has spent any amount of time needs to be searched. And I wouldn't rule out searching uh, anywhere where certain relatives of the Biden family, who we all know have been involved in the influence peddling schemes. Uh, I wouldn't rule out looking in their locations because you know this is clearly a pattern. No one believes these documents were delivered to five or six different locations once they left the vice president's office. Something bad is going on here, and this is of the utmost importance for our national security. So I was just asking Steve, I said, when he was a senator, what, what committee did he serve on? And he said foreign relations. He was I said, so, so what information does he have on those classified documents when he was a senator or when he was vice president? Is it anything that his son, who we know had access to the house, to the garage, to the Corvette that was next to the box with you know classified information, anything in those classified documents that he could have used when he sat on the board of these different uh, companies in uh, different countries? That's why we're investigating the Biden family for influence peddling. Uh, These countries aren't donating and wiring millions of dollars to Biden family interests just 
for charity. They're doing it because they want to get a return on their investment. And when we find out that classified documents are casually strode all over uh, the East Coast, then it's very concerning. So, you know, I wouldn't rule out the president's brothers as well. And you go back to his time in the Senate. I mean, this has been a pattern that this family has been involved in uh, for decades. And I just wonder what the White House's reaction would be if Ted Cruz or Marco Rubio were found to have in their possession classified documents. You know, this is something that uh, I think more Americans are starting to pay attention to. They realize there's a problem here and they're confused as to why in the first place would Biden have these classified documents in his possession, much less scattered out in at least five different locations. New House Oversight Committee Chair James Comer speaking on Fox News. And the documents, the classified documents, were a topic at today's White House press briefing. Here's Press Secretary Corrine Jean-Pierre. On the FBI search of the president's home on Friday, the president, when the initial batch of documents were reported a couple of weeks ago, said he was surprised the documents, that there were classified documents found at the Penn Biden Center. Was he surprised that there was classified material found at his home on Friday, as well as the prior discovery of his house a few weeks ago? So, look... Again, there's going to be a lot of questions on this. Uh, I know my colleagues uh, from the White House Counsel's Office has been uh, pretty diligent on taking questions these last couple of days. Going, there's going to be a call in, less, I think, less than an hour or so uh, from my White House uh, Counsel Office. And look, they're going to answer the questions uh, from, from, uh, from here. Any specifics to the Department of Justice, any specifics to this particular um, uh, legal matter, uh, I would refer you to the Department of Justice. I'm going to continue to be prudent from here. I'm going to be, continue to be consistent uh, and, uh, and make sure that uh, those questions go to, to my colleagues in the White House Counsel's Office. Uh, Another question on the documents. Um, You have said, though, from this podium many, many times over the last two weeks that this president takes the handling of classified material very seriously, and yet we continue to learn about more documents being found and discovered at his home, including now some that go back decades to his time in the Senate. So why should the American people believe that this president takes classified material seriously and the handling of it? Look, the president, the American people heard from the president directly on this when he was asked by your colleagues at least twice now about um, about how he sees this process. And he was very clear what, with, with the response of what we're currently seeing. And he says, I take this very seriously. He said, I didn't know. Uh, that the documents were there. Um, and look, I think as it relates to the American people and the president standing with the American people, uh, it is going to be uh, up to them to decide uh, how they see uh, this president. Look, this is a president that came into office. Nine million people had lost their jobs. The unemployment rate was 6.3%, and hundreds of thousands of small businesses had closed their doors. And in the past two years, we've created nearly 11 million jobs. The unemployment rate is at a record low at 50-year uh, 50 uh, record low. In the last two years, were the best years for small businesses applications on record. We talked about that last week, just from here. White House Press Secretary Corrine Jean-Pierre at today's White House Press Briefing. Russia has sent thousands of new reinforcements to support its invasion of Ukraine over the last few months. That's according to a report in CNN. The troops, according to the report, have made little difference in the conflict and are arriving on the front lines, quote, ill-equipped, ill-trained and rushed to the battlefield. Back here in Washington, Republican Senate Intelligence Committee member John Cornyn of Texas talked about Russia's invasion, along with China's recent military moves at an event at the American Enterprise Institute. You sometimes hear it argued that the United States 
simply lacks the ability or lacks the wherewithal to be able to compete in both of these theaters simultaneously, to deter challenges to the status quo in both places simultaneously. Is that, is that true? Is that not true? And how should we think about that particular challenge? Well, I don't believe that's true. Um, the question is, do we lack the will to rise to the challenge? But we have something that, uh, that our potential adversaries in the PRC um, uh, do not have. Um, one of my colleagues, we have this tradition in the Senate, when people come to the Senate, they give their maiden speech. And one of my colleagues, who will remain nameless, but said something that seems so obvious and so true at the same time that it's just kind of stuck with me. He said, the one thing we have that China does not have is friends. It is perhaps our greatest asset, our greatest strength, is our friends and our allies around the world. I, I was, re, uh, again, uh, reviewing something you'd written before, pointed out if you look at all of the various democracies in the world, people who are like-minded to the United States, we represent 60% of the world's GDP and military spending. Um, but I have to say, you know, my, this idea that if there were to be, let's say, an, uh, an invasion of Taiwan, that all of a sudden our friends would come running, was uh, my, I was disabused of that a little bit when on a recent trip that Senator Warner, chairman of the Intelligence Committee, and Senator King, who's a, like me, or a member of the Intelligence Committee, made to Australia and to uh, uh, New Zealand. I did not get the sense that um, they were eager um, to... Uh, to come to the defense of Taiwan were to be invaded. That's not to say they wouldn't. Uh, obviously, they're concerned with the formation of a quad and AUKUS, um, Australia, U.S., and U.K., those, those um, partnerships. But that's a far cry from actually committing um, troops and committing resources to, uh, to re repel uh, a, an invasion of Taiwan. And then about a year ago, I was in uh, Delhi uh, visiting with Prime Minister Modi with some of my colleagues. And clearly, uh, India has been um, uh, a bit of a disappointment in terms of their failure to join the resolution condemning the Ukraine invasion. And obviously, they continue to be pretty dependent on Russia in terms of their military weaponry. So um, my only point is, we may have this idea that we've got a lot of friends and they would come running if we needed their help. Um, I'm not sure that that's exactly true, but one thing I'm absolutely positive of, none of this would happen without American leadership. Senate Intelligence Committee member and Texas Republican John Cornyn speaking at the American Enterprise Institute earlier today. You can see the full event at cspan.org. And we might be still in the early days of 2023, but campaign 2024 is starting to take shape. Arizona Democratic Representative Ruben Gallego officially announced his run for the U.S. Senate today. The move has been rumored for a while. He is a five-term incumbent and made the announcement in a three-minute campaign video. Here's part of that. Hey, 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 You're the first group of people that are hearing this besides my family. I will be challenging Kirsten Cinema for the United States Senate, and I need all of your support. Most families feel that they are one or two paychecks away from going under. That is not the way that we should be living in this country. 
the rich and the powerful. They don't need more advocates. It's the people that are still trying to decide between groceries and utilities that needs a fighter for them. There is no lobbyist for working families. We could argue different ways about how to do it, but at the core, if you're more likely to be meeting with the powerful than the powerless, you're doing this job incorrectly. I'm sorry that politicians have let you down, but I'm going to change that. I'm Ruben Gallego. I'm running to be the senator of Arizona. Because you deserve somebody fighting for you and fighting with you every day to make sure you have the same chance at Sueño Americano. Part of the campaign video announcement of Arizona Democratic Representative Ruben Gallego running for U.S. Senate. And as we heard, independent Kirsten Cinema is the incumbent. She hasn't announced whether she will seek another term, but she has filed paperwork, uh, preliminary paperwork to do so. And in Indiana, Republican Representative Jim Banks ran his first ad in his run for the U.S. Senate. He is a Navy veteran who just won his fourth term in the House. Here is his ad that came out today. I'm Jim Banks. That's why I served overseas, and it's why I'm running for the United States Senate. Radical Socialist Democrats are trying to change America, but I won't let them. I've been on the front lines fighting for America First policies in Congress. I've been a leader in the fight to secure our border and pass immigration policies that put American workers first. I've led the fight in Congress to hold China accountable for stealing our jobs and for giving us COVID. I've led the fight on the House floor to keep girls' sports for girls and to protect the unborn. And I've used my position on the House Armed Services and Education Committees to stop critical race theory and anti-Americanism from being taught in our schools and pushed on our troops. Indiana deserves a conservative fighter in the United States Senate. But the radical Democrats and the spineless Republicans are going to do everything that they can to stop me. Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden have tried to block me before. They know I won't back down. But I need your help in the fight to restore America. Please go to banksforsenate.com to donate and get involved today. I'm Jim Banks, and I will always fight for our American way of life. America has given me the opportunity of a lifetime. And our daughters and our sons, they deserve nothing less. That's why I'm running for the United States Senate. Please join me. Representative Jim Banks is the first to enter what could be a crowded and competitive Republican primary to replace incumbent Republican Mike Braun, who is running for governor. That is his first ad in his campaign. A reminder, you can find this program as a podcast at cspan.org forward slash podcast. It's also on our C-SPAN Now mobile app or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you'd like more on the stories that are shaping Washington, subscribe to our evening newsletter, word for word. Just go to cspan.org forward slash connect to subscribe. I'm Gary Sterkoff. Thanks a lot for listening today to Washington Today.